Hello and welcome to Don't Be Afraid, a new podcast where we take a closer look at some things that are wrong with the world today to scare the shit out of you. And then we bring the hope back and tell you what you can do to help fix it. Each week, we'll take turns sharing a new topic. My name is Pat Holland. I'm just some dude. I'm not an expert in any field, but I'm tired of being scared all the time. Together, let's learn about some truly frightening topics that we didn't know were happening. And join me as I try to figure out what each of us as individuals can do to help. My name is Paige Thielen, and I am also not an expert in anything. Lately, I've been taking a hard look at the world and my place in it. For a long time, I felt hopeless, and the worst part is that I felt like there's nothing I could do about it. Can one person really change the world? How about the two of us together? The goal of this podcast is to find people like us who want to do something, anything, to save the world. Maybe one individual person can't change things on a large scale, but all of us together may be able to. Today we're looking at Y2K, a retrospective in the context of Don't Be Afraid, a podcast to save the world. First, why should we care about Y2K and Y2.19K? This story is intended to be a template on how to do things right. The format of this podcast, at least for now, since it's new and we're just figuring things out, is going to go like this. We present you a crisis. Humanity has a lot of crises on our hands these days. Some are more critical than others. They're all pretty scary. We'll go over the details, the causes, and the possible outcomes, why you should care, why you should be afraid. How does this affect you? How does it affect humanity as a whole? We'll try to present options that can work for everyone. How much time do you have to dedicate to this? We'll share our research into what can be done with varying levels of commitment. First, no time. What organizations can you support? Are there simple lifestyle changes you can make to help? Is there an app for that? Next, about one hour per month, about one hour per week, and about one hour per day. Because the only way humanity is going to solve these problems is for each of us to do what we can. No more, no less. To give some background and context about the motivation for creating this podcast in the first place, I thought it might be fun to start with a retrospective. From my very superficial polling of my friends and family, some really old Reddit comments I remember reading a long time ago, and my own memory, I can almost say with certainty that many people remember the Y2K crisis as overblown media hype and nothing more. In the years, and especially the months before the new year 2000, many people panicked about the inevitable destruction that was looming on the horizon. My dad remembers generators for sale at home improvement stores with large signs stating no returns. People were stocking up on necessities with the intent of returning them when and if the whole thing blew over, just to be prepared, just in case the hype was right. And then, on January 1st, 2000, midnight came and went with very little consequence. Life continued as usual. This was apparently just a great example of the media overreacting about nothing, fear-mongering, and playing on people's emotions. And we forgot all about it. And we all moved on. But I think in this case, we can learn some lessons from the past. In case you're not old like we are, or at least old enough to remember using a computer in the age of the Y2K bug, here's some background. The year 2000 problem, popularly dubbed Y2K, was a computer system vulnerability caused by using a two-digit year field to store dates, potentially leading to errors in date-based calculations after the rollover into the year 2000, when computers may or may not have been successfully able to distinguish between the year 2000 and 1900, or any other century rollover year for that matter. Other computers may have tried to represent the year as 19,100, depending on the data type used to store the number. For the most part, they would take the two-digit date and just append 19 to the front of it. So if it rolled over from 99 to 100 instead of 99 to 00, you would get 19,100 instead of 1900. There was a second layer to the madness, one that was much less flashy, and by the time it rolled around, most people had forgotten about it because January 1st was pretty much all hype and no payoff. 
We were all patiently waiting for the world to end on January 1st, 2000, and so when the world once again didn't end on March 1st, 2000, no one really noticed. We had all moved on by then, plus there was no flashy nickname for Leap Year 2K. That second layer was because many people had misunderstood the rules for leap years in the Gregorian calendar. The rule is that a leap year occurs every four years, and on a leap year, a February will have 29 days. This is to make up for the approximate length of a year being 365 and a quarter days instead of 365. However, years that are divisible by 100 are not leap years, so a lot of programmers stopped there. 1700, 1800, 1900 were not leap years, despite being divisible by 4. The critical rule in this case is that years that are divisible by 400 are leap years. 2000 was one of those. But according to a few common programming mistakes, a lot of people missed that. So there was a second wave of issues that might have arisen on February 29th, 2000, when computers would think it was March 1st. So here's some of the history behind the hype. It was the late 90s. Very few of us even used computers back then compared to now. Even fewer of us understood them. According to the U.S. Census, in August 2000, 54 million households, or 51% of American homes, had one or more computers. That's up from 42% in December of 1998. In 2013, 84% of households had a computer, desktop, laptop, handheld, or other, with the percentage growing to 87% two years later in 2015. In 1997, only 18% of households in the U.S. had internet access, which rose to 62% by 2007 and 73% in 2015. That's just data from the U.S. Census, but I think it's representative of how fast technology has changed in the years since 2000. Moore's Law approximates that transistor density in microprocessors doubles approximately every two years. In observation, that's been pretty much true. Transistor count is the most common measure of integrated circuit complexity. In the 20 years since the new millennium, that means transistor density has increased by 2 to the 10th power, or 1,024. That means computers today are over 1,000 times more complex today than they were back then. I won't get into this part too much, but just keep that in mind. What we are used to using today in our handheld devices is more powerful than the typical home computer in the 90s. There are a few common explanations for why humanity managed to get to the late 1990s without realizing that a crisis was looming. First, as humans, we generally tend to think on a scale relative to our lifetimes. 100 years is plenty. The programming errors that led to the Y2K bug were inherently human errors. Habit and legacy is probably what led to the short-sightedness from which the crisis stemmed. Back in the 70s, when computers were brand new, the year 2000 was so far away that it was pretty much unfathomable. And when computers were brand new, long before the 90s, storage was expensive. According to Wikipedia, early core memory cost about $1 per bit. The problem started because both on mainframe computers and later personal computers, storage was as low as $10 per kilobyte to, in many cases, as much or even more than $100 per kilobyte. Literally every bit counted. By the 1990s, it wasn't as crucial to save precious memory dollars by skimping on bits as it was in the early, early days of computing, but it's what we were used to, especially those of us who had never lived through a century rollover, which was most of us at the time. The two-digit year can be stored numerically in seven bits. But full years can be re represented in 11 bits, so how much cost savings could those extra four bits have really led to? And yet, by habit, that was still how dates are imagined. According to an article posted on Pearl.com in January 1999, talking about the Millennium Bug and whether or not we should be afraid as programmers, As the clock draws us relentlessly closer toward 2000, the final year of the second millennium, doomsayers everywhere are prophesying unprecedented computer failure in every conceivable sector. Known popularly as the year 2000 problem, or the millennium bug, this situation is quite easy to explain. 
Programs that interpret two-digit dates in the form XX as 19XX behave unpredictably starting in the year 2000 and beyond into the next millennium. If your birthday is 2205, are you 101 years old in 2006 or just one year old? So the expected outcome of these computer failures was basically limited to date or elapsed time-based calculations. Instead of the rate of interest for one day, a computer might calculate a rate of interest for negative 100 years, markets would crash, chaos would ensue. Centers of technology such as power plants depend on routine computer maintenance for safety checks such as water pressure or radiation levels. Not having the correct date could throw off these calculations and possibly put nearby residents at risk. Transportation might have been an issue. Scheduling is obviously based on time and date. Both software and hardware was at risk. Embedded systems, such as those used for controlling stoplights and other infrastructure systems, would be more susceptible to this type of failure than larger workspaces because of their reduced storage size. There were many approaches taken to solve the year 2000 problem in legacy systems. Here are a few examples. There was legislation and government intervention. Special committees were set up by governments to monitor remedial work and contingency planning, particularly by crucial infrastructures such as telecommunications, utilities, to ensure that the most critical services had fixed their own problems and were prepared for problems with others. Compliance rules were made for software that are still followed today, referred to as Year 2000 Conformity Requirements. These are described as no valid date will cause any interruption in operations. Calculations of durations between or the sequence of pairs of dates will be correct whether any dates are in different centuries. In all interfaces and in all storage, the century must be unambiguous, either specified or by calculable algorithm. And the year 2000 must be recognized as a leap year. In addition to the legislation and government intervention and other rules that were created to combat this problem, there were some software solutions implemented. This is considered, in my mind, the low effort or no time commitment solution for the rest of us. In 1996, a man named Rudy Rupak created a freeware program called the Millennium Bug Kit. You could download it on the internet, and it was so widely adopted that about one in four computers had installed it. It was well marketed as a Millennium Bug Compliance Kit. Some slightly more complex or time-consuming solutions were date compression, date repartitioning, and date windowing, which were somewhere in the middle for the rest of us. Date compression, uh, dates can be compressed into binary 14-bit numbers. That was a little bit more complicated. Dates could be repartitioned from six-digit year-month-day combinations into three-digit years, which would still represent elapsed years from 1900. So 1999 would be represented as 099, 2001 would be represented as 101, and then the three-digit day of the year. This allowed the date fields to retain the same size, so it's still a six-digit date width but it was able to represent all of the days in all of the years up through 2,899. Finally, windowing was a solution that was implemented where two-digit two years were retained, but centuries were calculated as needed. So this required small patches in certain programs, and it was much less costly and much simpler to test and implement than some of the other solutions. It was only designed as a short-term solution to last a few decades, which was agreed to be acceptable because it bought people more time to replace the systems running this solution. The highest effort solution was called date expansion. Instead of using two-digit years, programmers increased to four-digit years in programs, files, and databases wherever possible. This was permanent and easily maintainable, so it was considered the purest solution, but it was extremely expensive and required massive amounts of testing to make sure it was right, especially in critical systems. An 8-bit signed integer is capable of storing values from negative 128 
127, which would be capable of representing dates far enough in the future to outlive most of the computers created in the 1990s, up to 2027 when calculating offset from 1990 with the added ability to calculate earlier years as well, for example, as the pension of a person born in 1895, and the base year from which to calculate the offset can be anything else. doesn't have to be 1900. If instead of using two-digit years, we had reimagined programming years as an offset from a base year, say 1900, we could use seven bits to store numbers up to 2156, since 2 to the 8th is 256. So instead of the year modulo 1900, which is the way two-digit dates were calculated, we could use the year minus 1900, which sounds the same, but it's a very different concept. An 8-bit signed integer is capable of storing values from negative 128 to 127, which would be capable of representing dates far enough in the future to outlive most of the computers created in the 1990s. Up to 2027 when calculating offset from 1900, with the added ability to calculate earlier years as well, for example, as the pension of a person born in 1895. And the base year from which to calculate the offset can be anything you want as well. Or you could just use four extra bits to store a full four-digit year, which would only take up 11 bits of storage versus seven for just a two-digit year. So now to the aftermath. After all of those solutions were implemented in the months leading up to 2000, and the rest of us were just listening to the news and being worried and stocking up on bottled water and canned food. In the first week of 2000, the year 2000 Research Center collected bug reports resulting from this issue. There were only 67 significant computer failures around the world that week. One of these was a nuclear energy facility in Ishikawa, Japan, which had some of its radiation equipment fail, but backup facilities ensured that there was no threat to the public. The U.S. also detected missile launches in Russia and attributed that to the Y2K bug. But it turns out the missile launches were actually planned ahead of time as part of Russia's conflict in the Republic of Chechnya. There was no computer malfunction. By March 1st, 2000, there were no significant leap year problems that were reported, according to the International Y2K Cooperation Center. These days, dates are usually represented in 32-bit words signifying the elapsed seconds from a certain date, usually January 1st, 1970. However, this number actually maxes out on January 19th, 2038, which would cause computers to either crash or start counting backwards from January 1st, 1970, depending on the programming. This is regarded these days as the next Y2K problem, or the year 2038 problem. The solution for this is to instead store dates as 64-bit integers, which will be able to represent dates for millions of years. Like many potentially humanity-ending crises, there was a lot of truth and a lot of less-than-truth in the reporting, the theories, and the public reception. There was widespread misunderstanding about what caused the bug, what was being done to prevent it, and what could happen as a result. Because of this, people were literally preparing for the end of world. Also, the new millennium thing lent itself well to doomsday predictions, and this certainly didn't help. Many people didn't understand computers and were easily fooled into believing that the world was ending. The point is... What if we were wrong about Y2K, and as a result, we spent billions of dollars making common sense, lasting upgrades to computers, programming languages, and critical infrastructure systems to protect them from vulnerabilities and protect ourselves from the chaos that could have been caused? What if nothing would have happened? 20 years later, it's really easy to think that way. But we could have done nothing. In the days, weeks, months, and possibly years after January 1st, 2000, we could have spent that time cleaning up after ourselves. We could have spent just as much money fixing problems as we did trying to prevent them in the first place, possibly more. Luckily, the results from the Y2K bug were not chaotic crises. Unfortunately, as a result, these days people really only remember the hype and the nothing that ensued. 
If we had sat back and done nothing, I'm pretty sure Y2K would have ended as a cautionary tale about when to panic and how hard it would have been to clean up the messes we ignored all along. So let's not let that happen this time. So if if we were facing the Y2K problem, say this year, you know, from 2019 to 2020 instead, what would you say that I could do personally to help fix the problem? Um, I think that having a basic understanding of how computers work is super important to people um, this day and age, even people who are not in particularly technical fields. But that being said, I know that that's a lot to ask, especially from people who are just very outside of the tech field. So I think that getting on board with legislation would help, especially encouraging lawmakers to try and understand the problem. And I think doing the appropriate research is always important. The best peace of mind solution for people would have been the freeware solutions that were distributed at the time. You know, if you were a hospital administrator and you had this computer system, you could get some freeware installed that would patch up your date systems and, you know, solve the problem for you. Oh, that was really bad. Because <laughs> um, I don't really know, like, yeah. are you a programmer? You could have created a freeware program. Yeah. Like, Just trying to think yeah, of people as, like, the kind of basic, you know... Basic beings. Basic beings, like, what... You know, you presented a lot of really great solutions, but it seems like they were all, like, people who were working on the problem. Versus, yeah. like, for me right now, as an example, for, like, ocean plastic, like... What can I do in my role in my everyday to fix the ocean plastic? Yeah, you know I can stop using plastic bags, but how, how can I fix the? Yeah, um, how do I get the plastic that's in the ocean out? So, yeah, so this is kind of an example of like things that groups of people collectively did instead of like focusing on things that individuals mm-hmm. did and could have done, which is it's hard because it was so long ago that like either nobody remembers it or like what were normal people doing. Most people didn't understand computers or program at the time. So what can we do as individuals to prevent the 2038 problem from being a crisis that was avoided at Y2K? Again, that one is kind of up to like the hardware makers. Like most computers are using 64-bit processors these days anyway, so they can store data 64-bit instead of 32, and so it's not really <laughs> a thing. Are there any organizations that are dedicated to or have a, a branch that are working on fixes for the 2038 problem? Uh, according to Apple, uh, they say that the Mac is okay out to the year 29,940. Cool. Well, I'll be dead by then. Well, I feel like that's kind of the same attitude that had uh, caused the Y2K problem in the first place. Yeah. I feel like this is a good example of uh, just being aware of kind of what you're doing in the world in a programming yeah. context or outside of it you know these problems were developed because of hardware limitations at the time but also because people were thinking like you said on terms of their lifespans you know yeah. I won't be around past this date anyway should be a problem someone will come up with a fix to it by then instead of thinking on a uh, a larger scale a more human timeline um Humanity versus yeah, individual humanity human. versus human. So I think one possible solution is, you know, in your everyday life, thinking about things and the effect they have beyond your immediate area, beyond your immediate timeline. Yes, that's a good one. 
and then listen to people who have expertise on these subjects because when the Y2K thing was happening, we were all listening to like news reporters. And again, not a lot of us had a whole lot of understanding about computers. I was like 10. Yeah, I was 10. Um, so I was 11. Yeah, yeah, I was can't 10. Count. <laughs> I was 11. <laughs> so I didn't understand computers. I still can't count. Um, and listening to like what the media tells you about certain things isn't as valuable as listening to what actual experts have to say um, because there's often a political spin or the wow factor. Like they want to grip you in. They want you to keep watching them. So they want to keep you alert and scared and feed you the news that they want you to keep watching. So if you want to, that sounds like really paranoid conspiracy theorists, but the best sources of information are like actual experts on the subject. In general, if you want to do research about a topic, um, try to stay away from political leaning sites and try to stay away from specific news outlets and like go to nonprofit information sources, encyclopedias, which still exist, unbiased experts in subject matter. I feel like a good rule of thumb is if it's trying to sell you a solution to the problem, maybe it's not a reliable source. That can be true. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not great. That is often true and sometimes not true. Yeah, because I feel like um, be like Y2K programmers just want us to buy their fixes. Yeah, buy their freeware. I, th I feel like we could get into a lot of episodes just about like media hype in general. Yeah. Um, which goes really tightly into advertising. Yeah, I have a whole topic about local news. I was going to say, if it's supported by ads, it might not be reliable because I just want you to read. But, you know, yeah. local news is supported by ads and part of the reason why it's dying is because people aren't clicking on the ads anymore yeah britannica has a subscription service yeah. it's like that's cool maybe i'll pay for that yeah they gave me some good ammo for their, my research into this topic mm -hmm. to summarize the problem was the way that we stored dates back in the 90s and in the early days of computing weren't compatible with rolling over into a new century so people were worried about how computers would behave after january 1st 2000 because it was sometimes impossible to predict. That was that was the biggest point, was that computers could behave unexpectedly, and that's not really something you ever want to have to say about a computer. You know, imagine if it's a computer in a hospital or something that's running traffic systems or transportation systems. You know, it's almost worse than saying, oh, at midnight January 1st, these will all turn off, versus at midnight, we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, like, who knows, and we can't read the code to figure it out. So um, so on a large scale, governments, agencies, software companies all around the world went to work sort of early on. I think the first mention of the year 2000 problem was a book that was written in 1984. It was called The Year 2000 Computing Crisis. Behind the scenes, outside of a lot of the media hype, a lot of software companies went to work to solve this problem internally and were able to share their solutions more widespread once it got closer to the actual date. Governments also worked together to ensure that their in infrastructure systems were patched and able to work predictably. Um, solutions were created and implemented. Awareness was brought to public attention kind of late in the game, so it seemed more like a crisis than it actually was because people had already been working on fixing it for years. Um, so I think what we can learn from this is 
sometimes by the time we find out about a crisis, it's been in the minds of the experts for a long time and just nobody's been listening or it hasn't been flashy enough to raise attention yet. I think if we try and pay attention to what's going on in the world outside of what the mainstream news outlets are telling us, um, we'll be a lot more likely to be able to understand the problems facing us today. This all made sense when I was writing it, but now I'm like, yeah, you're right. It doesn't, it doesn't really say anything about what an individual can do except like listen to experts. But like, where do you find those experts? How do you identify what these problems are? That's something that I still don't know working on this podcast of yeah. trying to share these things with people. I mean, that's why we're doing this to try to find, yeah. to try to help find these problems and help share them and, you know, get input from other people who might know more than us. And how to fix them, what it is and how to fix it. So listener, if you're listening, um, we are accepting suggestions for things that we should look into and things that we should fix and things that we should be afraid of and things that we should don't be afraid of. And things that we should don't be afraid of. <laughs> um, and then don't wait until it's too late. If you ha hear two conflicting sides of a story where somebody's telling you this is a huge crisis and somebody else is telling you that it's nothing and it's hype and don't listen to the hype and blah, blah, blah. Um, do independent research and find out for sure. And listen to rep reputable sources instead of mommy blogs yeah it definitely sounds like the y2k problem was a crisis that was at the time um obviously right afterward i thought it was just hype that we shouldn't have been worried about after doing some of my own research into it uh it seemed like a crisis that was narrowly avoided but after learning yeah. more about it today it seems like it was a lot less narrowly avoided than i thought uh because it was Experts in the fields were working on it for a long time to have working solutions ready to go pretty pretty quickly before the problem became out of hand. Yeah, and imagine like like that first book was published in 1984, 1986. So imagine like how computers evolved just in the next 10 years after that before it became like a more public crisis. Um, as computers improved, the the problem solutions were easier to implement and easier to fix. But um, and back in the 80s, I can't imagine how scary it must have sounded. Yeah, and computers becoming so much more common in those intervening 10 to 15 years was why it became such a media talking point. Because in 1984, no one had a computer in their home or very, very few people. So it didn't affect people in their day-to-day day -day life as much. But, you know, when you're panicking... In December of 1999 and you have a computer in your home you know that the subway you use every day relies on computer systems the traffic lights the airports everything required on these computer systems that all of a sudden you're hearing might not work or will work in unexpected ways starting tomorrow um, seems like a, a recipe for a panic yeah which I think it's also probably a good um, a good point about the subways is um, it's pretty good to be involved in local government just to know about how people in your community and how like your officials in your community are working to solve problems in the community. And so since 1999, 
the Y2K bug was such a huge talking point. I'm sure if you got involved in like visiting city council meetings, you could have found out what, you know, we're worried about the subways. Here's what we're doing to stop it. And um, I think that's one way that an individual can get involved even today in any of these types of things is just if you have the time, if you have the resources, like get involved in local government. Yeah, and that doesn't mean... Even just as an observer. Exactly. It doesn't mean necessarily running for city council, but you know, city council meetings and public forums are open to the public. You can go there and demand either that you be heard or that experts on the issue are brought in. So, yeah. you know, if you've heard about the Y2K problem, but you don't really know anything, you go to your city council meeting and you see that everybody on the city council and everybody there is just as panicky and unknowledgeable as you are, you can say, hey, maybe this is a good time to get a software expert in or computer engineer in here to talk about what our risk is what our solutions are and uh what we can do going forward what was your favorite thing about computers everything what was your favorite thing that happened in the year 2000 oh wait i had a good one for this my favorite thing that happened in the year 2000 oh no that was december of 1999 i got bit in the face by a dog oh, good and i dog. had to get stitches for the first time so that was my least favorite thing in the year 2000 but i may have gotten my stitches out in early 2000 so maybe that's what i liked i remember being kind of disappointed when uh midnight rolled around on january 1st and power didn't immediately go out and the world didn't end yeah yeah i guess Cause as kids we were like that sounds exciting and fun. Be so fun oh the end of the world Yay. how thrilling 2000 seems like a nice round number for all this humanity thing to just finally kick the bucket. We've had a good run. <laughs> We're done now. Wrap it all up. Yeah. yeah. Set it home, folks. I think we also moved we did, in fact, from New move. York to Pennsylvania in 2000. That was rough. Yeah. That was a long year. A lot of things happened. I turned 10. I started middle school. Got a bad haircut. <laughs> Several, probably. Yeah, I've Got better haircuts from every year from 1990 until about 2018. So, I got a good haircut recently, and I think I'm just gonna call it call it a day. Yeah. Never touch them again. I just think it's funny when we when we look back and talk about it as it as if it was like absolutely nothing, and it was, but it wasn't. It was nothing for a reason, which I think is the important thing to remember. Is it it could have been something, but it wasn't because people listened to experts and did things and like let invested in infrastructure and they invested in the things that we needed to get these solutions rolling and widespread. And so without that, I mean, who knows what could have happened? Yeah. I kind of feel like there's some parallels that could be drawn to climate change where there are people who are just openly denying the science behind it, where experts are telling us like, this is a huge crisis we need to do something before it's too late because you can't do something after it's too late. And this is one of those, one of those examples where like we should listen to the experts because they're usually right. Yeah. It's definitely, um, you know, made a good point, like saying, um, we could have assumed it was going to be fine and then spent an order of magnitude, more money fixing all the problems that were caused by it. Uh, cleaning up after these messes and spending more time and money trying to trying to solve these problems or we could you know take the initiative and and finish it ahead of time and yeah most people i've talked to in the years since remember it as a a big nothing burger you know 
it was something it was all anyone was talking about for what it felt like the entire year of 1999 all anyone would talk about was y2k y2k compliant and you know how the world was going to end and then when nothing happened we said oh wow look at that everyone was wrong again the hype was the hype was wrong but it's a little bit like we've learned our lesson to never listen to the yeah scientists we've definitely learned the wrong this. lesson it's a little bit like yeah if in the movie armageddon after humanity you know blows up the asteroid and narrowly avoids destruction everyone said see there was nothing to worry about the whole time exactly and that's that's the one thing that worries me a lot is how easy it is to misremember things through the lens of time um we're not going to get a second chance for some of these like for to stop global warming like we're not going to get a second chance for that there's not going to be oops we were wrong like day zero comes and now earth is on fire let's put out the fire like we have to do the work now yeah I think the estimate was that to solve and like prevent the Y2K crisis, something like $300 billion was spent. I think that was globally. Don't remember where I saw that statistic, but $300 billion is a lot of money. But like as a result of that $300 billion, everything was fine. It's not in spite of that $300 billion. It's because of that, because of the $300 billion and all of the people working together to solve this problem, nothing happened. So we got to take that $300 billion and like put it towards the future again. Yeah. It's like that comic you shared with me that we'll put a link to in the footnotes um, about climate change. What if this is, it's the scientists at a climate change summit um, says, what if this is all for nothing and we create a better world for nothing? Or what if climate change isn't real and we create a better world for nothing? It's like you said earlier, you know, we spent $300 billion making necessary upgrades to our computer systems, improving the code and the date handling. And when the computers were good enough to handle, you know, larger bit date formats, we made these necessary upgrades. Now there's been no way of knowing at this point, if, if those upgrades hadn't happened, what the result of Y2K would have been. But we do know that first of all, the problems, predicted problems didn't happen. And second of all, that these necessary upgrades to our computer systems were made. So, Common sense upgrades. Common sense upgrades, exactly. So it was money well spent because it didn't happen. The problems didn't happen. And common sense necessary upgrades were put in. They did, those upgrades needed to happen anyway. And it took a worldwide phenomenon of a crisis to get them made. And I think the unfortunate thing is like it's probably, maybe it's just me, but I think it's like a very human thing to like require a deadline and so having like January 1st, 2000 as like, you know, if we make it to January 1st after midnight, then we'll know that we've solved this problem. Yeah, we don't really feedback. have a deadline. Yeah. We don't really have like a day zero as far as we know for a lot of the other crises that are coming up, which is, I think, why we have to be a little bit more proactive. Like some of these things could happen at any time. Some of these things will be a threat forever. Um, there's no like mission accomplished date for solving humanity's problems like there was for Y2K. Yeah, you don't want to decide to buy a fire extinguisher for your house the day your kitchen catches fire. You don't want to have to buy a plunger after you need it. Buy a plunger before you clog the toilet. (laughs) (laughs) Buy a plunger first, then buy a toilet. Yes. All right. Do you have anything else to add? I don't. Just that January 1st, 2000, like what a great deadline date to have. Couldn't be easier to remember. Couldn't be more nice round number. 
2038 is like, what even is that? Yeah, like that's not even, and it's not even January 1st, 2038. It's like January 19th at 314. Yeah. Who cares? I'll be sleeping then, <laughs> probably. I sleep a lot, so. I I'll do, die. yeah. And it's UTC. I have no idea what time that is, so I'll probably just sleep all day to be safe. Yeah. I believe that's the same as Greenwich Mean Time. Yes. It's the same, but it's not the same. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Yeah. All right. Uh, I definitely learned a lot about Y2K today. I think we learned a lot about how we can apply lessons learned from Y2K to problems we're facing today. Yeah. And in the future, we all obviously focus a little bit more on things that you can do and not things that companies had done <laughs> in the past. Uh, it's supposed to be more of like an individual impact podcast, yeah. but I think it's still a good perspective to keep. Yeah, this is just, you know, an example of a problem that existed, a problem that seemed insurmountable, and a problem that was fixed before it was too late. And understanding is a large part of the battle. Yeah. Knowledge is half the battle. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. Money is pizza. Pizza is power. Time is pizza. Oh my pizza. god. I've never thought of it that way. That was brilliant. You're an idiot. I appreciate that. Until next time, <laughs> Until friends. Next time. You're an idiot. <laughs> Don't be an idiot. All right. I'm going to stop All recording. Right. Yeah.